much today's praise team and choir. It's just been a wonderful time, and the choir is going to return just a little bit later. Um, so they'll be singing while we are taking communion, and we're looking forward to that. I couldn't help but smile. I think uh, the uh, youngest member of the Dale family just really enjoyed grabbing onto that microphone. And uh, there was a great big smile there, so <laughs> uh, so it was uh, just wonderfully done, but just uh, fun to see that as well. Well, one of the most balanced prayers that was ever uttered was Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember from last week how he prayed, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was honest, wasn't he? He didn't hide from God, did he? Uh, He told the Father what he desired. Do you think we should tell God what we desire? Uh, He knows anyway, doesn't he? So why should we hide from God what we are really feeling? But Jesus also didn't presume upon God, did He? He said, not as I will, but as you will. And there's the really great balance. Jesus said what He really felt in His human nature. But He knew God's will was different than His human will, and so He yielded to God. You know, the Apostle John was in the garden that day, and he really got the message as he listened to Jesus pray over and over again. And many, many years later, John would write in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, according to His will, obviously, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. And again, there is the very beautiful balance. Come and ask, says the Lord. Tell God what is on your heart, but, but, don't presume on God. Always in the end, yield to His will. John had obviously learned this lesson from Jesus very, very well. We don't always learn the lesson as well, do we? Especially when God's will is difficult or hard. The very last thing that happened in the garden to Jesus was very very hard. He was arrested in order to be killed. It was the will of God, but not everybody responded to it in the right way. Judas was there, and he responded with a kiss. Peter was there, and and he responded with a sword. But Jesus was there, and he responded with God's Word. Many years ago, I had a class with Pastor Warren Wearsby, and as he talked about this section of Scripture, he said, each response on the part of Judas, Peter, and Jesus 
reveals an attitude towards the will of God. And he said only one attitude will lead to blessing. Only one attitude matches Jesus' prayer. This morning we're going to turn back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter um, 14. And I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Decision Making and the Will of God. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark 14. It's about page 1011 in the Chair Bible. And let's look together at these responses to God's will. And then, as always, Jesus is our greatest example and shows us exactly how it should go. Let's take a moment and just pray together. Lord, Your will is perhaps the most important thing in each and every one of our lives. And how we respond, Lord, to what You are doing and what Your plans are is often one of the greatest challenges of our life. And we confess that we haven't learned the lesson that Jesus knew so well and that John learned and later wrote for us that Your will is always best and the best course in life, no matter how hard it may be, is to yield to the perfect will of God. Teach us that now from your wonderful example yourself, dear Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I want you to notice, first of all, that Judas is present in this encounter. And he responds with a kiss. And he was pretending with God's will. And it's possible that we can do the very same thing. Now notice with me verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, a signal, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Now, the question that we have as we look at this scene, and by the way, this is a famous painting of the kiss of Judas that day in the garden. Is Judas told them in verse 44 that he would give them a sign? And we have to ask, why did they need a sign? Well, Judas wanted to be sure that he was a sure guide so that there could be no escape on the part of Jesus. It was expected that Jesus perhaps would try to escape or his disciples would help him to escape. And so in the dark, it would be very hard to recognize Jesus so that Judas wanted to give a sign so that there would be no mistake and no attempt at escaping. So he said, it's the one that I will kiss. Now, it was customary in that day to greet a rabbi with a kiss. It was a sign of affection and respect for a well-loved teacher. And there's no question that Judas had responded to Jesus and greeted him many, many times with a kiss so such an intimate action would be unmistaken. But here's the interesting thing. 
In verse 44, when Judah says, here's the sign, I'm going to kiss him, it is a simple Greek word, philane. But in verse 45, when Judas actually kisses Jesus, it is a compound word. It is katephilene. That is an intensive form of the word for kiss. It means to kiss much, to kiss again, to kiss tenderly. It suggests a prolonged kiss. It was not the formal kiss of a respectful greeting like a little peck on the cheek, but this was a lover's kiss. This was more like a smooch. You see the dreadfulness in this? Do you see how dreadful this is? Judas's kiss said, I love you, I respect you, I reverence you, but there was betrayal in his heart. Judas was pretending. There's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 6, that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend but many are the kisses of an enemy. And that's what Judas did that day. Now as we look at that, what are the signs of a Judas kiss? Is it possible that we are here today and maybe we are pretending with the will of God? Let's just talk for a moment about some of the signs of a Judas kiss. How do we know if this might be true of us? Well, number one, our love for Jesus is external, not internal. You see, Judas had followed Jesus for three and a half years. He heard his teaching, he saw his miracles, he experienced his love. But Judas never placed his faith in Jesus. He never allowed Jesus inside to change his heart. And what we must understand is that true salvation always begins on the inside. It starts in the heart, and then when there is a true relationship with Jesus, it works itself out in actions of love, service, and devotion. And so if all we have are the externals, our heart has never been changed, we can look very good on the outside... But Jesus doesn't really have our hearts on the inside. And we are pretending with God's will. Another way that we can pretend with God's will is our service for Jesus can be selfish rather than being selfless. Uh, We all know that Judas was in it for the money. The Bible tells us that he held the money purse and he would steal from the money purse So he was attached to Jesus for revolutionary goals. He believed that he would become prominent, rich, and powerful. Uh, Judas was on the bottom of the social ladder, and he longed to be on the top. And he was not interested in a cross that would bring salvation to people and glory to God. And so he was pretending. 
A third way that we can pretend with the will of God is our obedience to Jesus is conditional, not unconditional. Judas followed Jesus as long as his agenda was being carried out. But once Jesus started talking about death, denying self, taking up the cross, being hated, Judas draw a line. He would not follow Jesus that far. And many are willing to follow Jesus as long as they can have their way. But here's what is always true. Pretenders will stop following if they can't have their way. It's a clear sign of pretending with the will of God. In a previous church, a father one day came to me, and he said a man attending our church was coming around because he was interested in this father's daughter. The father said to me, my daughter will never have any serious interest in him, but that's the reason he is coming. Uh, One day, this man put his business cards out in the lobby of our church to promote his business. And the leaders had to go to him and say, it's not appropriate for you to promote your business that way in our church. Eventually, he gave up on the father's daughter and he left our church. We never saw him again until, until he came back with another woman that he wanted us to marry him to. And it was very, very clear. Here was a man who was pretending. Pretending with Jesus. Pastor Warren Wiersbe has a wonderful little comment here, and this is what he says. When people today pretend to know and love the Lord, they are committing the sin of Judas. Does this describe us today? As we examine our hearts in this passage, does this describe us? If so, It's a Judas kiss. And God is speaking to us to deal with our hearts. Notice the next response. The next response was Peter. And Peter responded to God's will with a sword. And here we have fighting against God's will. Look at verse 47, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now from the other gospel accounts, we can put together the situation. Here is another famous painting of Peter this time pulling his sword and cutting off the ear of this innocent man in the garden who was a servant of the high priest. 
And the artist has done such a wonderful job because had Jesus not uh, interrupted and stopped Peter, the melee that you can see in the background is exactly what would have occurred had Peter continued. But look at what John 18, 10 and 11 adds to the Gospel of Mark. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And then you know what he did. He reached down and took that ear and put it up on Malchus's head again and healed his ear. This is Jesus' last miracle before the cross. Now, you know, someone is tempted to say, hooray, hooray, at least someone stood up for Jesus, right? Do you know, I read a Bible teacher who actually said we should sort of be glad that Peter stood up for Jesus. But very, very clearly here, this was wrong. And we all know why. Jesus' arrest was God's will. And we say, didn't Peter know? Well, he certainly should have. Jesus had predicted it many, many times in detail, all of these events. And so the problem here was not that Peter didn't know, it's that he wouldn't accept. That's the problem. He pushed his master aside, and he said, I know what to do. So, in verse 30, 53, when they take Jesus, Peter said, this is not going to happen, so he took over. He said, stand aside, Lord, I will take over, I know what to do. By the way, do we ever do that? Do we ever say, Lord, I know what to do, stand aside? By the way, have you ever noticed that uh, when we do that, two things happen? Number one, we usually do the exact opposite of what God's will is. Or number two, we do God's will in the exact opposite way of the way that He wants it done. Those two things happen. When we fight against God's will and say, Lord, stand aside, I know what to do, We will either do the exact opposite of what God's will is, or we will do God's will in the exact opposite way of the way that He wants it done. Let's just for a moment put ourselves in the midst of the scene here with Peter's reckless actions. Uh, This is a screenshot of this incident in the movie, The Passion of Christ. And let's just ask ourselves, uh, what happens if Jesus does not step in, stop Peter, and heal this man, Malchus? What happens? Well, Peter could have killed an innocent man. Probably the next blow would have struck him in a way that would have killed him. Peter could have endangered Jesus' life before the cross. Peter could have endangered the lives of his disciples. And then think about this. Peter could have caused the very riot that Jesus was seeking to avoid. 
You know, Pastor John Calvin has a wonderful comment here. Listen to what he says. It was not owing to Peter that Christ did not turn away from death and that Jesus' name was not exposed to perpetual disgrace. That's what happens if Peter succeeds. Jesus' name is exposed to perpetual disgrace. Let's think about this for just a moment this morning. What are signs of a Peter sword? What are signs that you and I have a sword in our hand when it comes to God's will and purposes for our lives? I think there are at least these. Number one, you know you got a sword in your hand when you are fighting God's will in the Bible. One day I had to talk to a man who um, was taking advantage of a vulnerable woman because he was testing her out to see if she would be a suitable marriage partner. And when I told him that uh, the Bible said what he was doing was wrong, you know what he said? He said, I know what the Bible says, but sometimes that doesn't always work. He said that while his library of Bible study books were right next to him. I was shocked to hear a man be so blunt. And how easy it is for us to say, we know what the Bible says, but come on now, we've got to be practical, right? And when we say that, or when we act in that way, make no mistake about it, we have a sword in our hands. We are fighting God's will. Here's another way we can have a sword. Fighting God's will through other people. Sometimes the way that God directs us is through our parents, or maybe a spouse. Maybe the Lord will direct us through a pastor. But we are so determined that I'm going to do what I'm going to do that we will not hear the voice of God through that person. I've shared this with you before. Many, many years ago, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias on the radio, and he said something that really astounded me, but I knew that he was true. This is what he said. Most people that come to a pastor for help already know the answer to their problem. They just don't want to do it. And you say, well then, why would they come? Why would somebody come to somebody for help when they already know the answer and they don't want to do what they're going to be told? Why would they do that? And you know what the answer is? They are hoping that they will be told What they are doing is okay. And whenever that happens, God is giving us His will through another person. It's a parent maybe, a pastor, maybe a spouse. They're not always right. But if they are right, it's God's will that is being revealed to us. And we don't want to hear that. We've got a sword in our hands. Notice thirdly, we can fight God's will in circumstances. Sometimes the way that God directs us is how He lays out the circumstances, as hard as they may be. 
And He is calling us to make hard choices to follow Him. I knew a woman many years ago in Texas who desperately wanted to be married. Two Christian women, two Christian men broke up with her. And she became so bitter and so resentful that she turned against God over her circumstances. Ten years later, I saw her sister-in-law, and I hadn't seen them in many, many years. And I asked about her sister-in-law, and this is what this woman said to me about her sister-in-law. She said, she's not the same lady you knew ten years ago. She said, she's a hardened woman. A hardened woman. And the day that those two men broke up with her and dashed her hopes and in bitterness and anger she turned away from God. She took up a sword in her hands. And ten years later the hardness in her face was the result of her fighting God's will. Let me ask you, what does Jesus do when we fight God's will? Well, in Peter's case, he stopped him. Don't raise your hand if you're grateful for the times Jesus has reached down and stopped you. How wonderful he is when he does that. One more blow would have killed an innocent man and disgraced the name of Jesus forever. And Jesus said, I can't allow this to happen. I'm stepping in. But you know what Jesus does sometimes on the other side? He lets us have our own way. Instead of stepping in and stopping us, He just stands on the side and He allows us to have our own way until we have made enough of a mess that finally we have no alternative but to turn back to Him. I used to love that old song with this wonderful chorus. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. Waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. And finally, when fighting against God's will does not get us what we ultimately want, and we're at the end of ourselves, then what do we find? Jesus was there all the time, waiting patiently in line to say, let's now Do it my way. As God is penetrating our hearts today, do any of us have a sword like this in our hands? Do we know what the Bible says, but we're not going to do it? Is God directing us through somebody that He has sent as a spiritual guide and we won't listen? Or are circumstances calling us to make a hard choice and we're saying, I don't want to make this hard choice in this circumstance? If so, we have a sword in our hands. Finally, there's Jesus. Here's the third response to God's will. Jesus responded with God's Word, and that's submitting to God's will. Look at verse 48. 
And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man, this is probably Mark, the author of the Gospel, who wants us to see his cowardice as well. A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. From this time forward, Jesus will be all alone. There will be no companionship, no help. From this time forward, He will face the cross all alone. Why did Jesus submit? Why did He not resist? Did you notice the only protest he had was the way they came? They came with clubs and spears and swords. They acted like he was Spartacus who was going to lead a rebellion. But instead, Jesus voluntarily surrendered himself. And did you notice the reason? Let the Scriptures be fulfilled. What Jesus was saying is this is what God wants. Isaiah 53 says he would be numbered amongst the transgressors. So he would have to be arrested. He would have to be tried as a criminal for the Scriptures to be fulfilled that he would be numbered amongst the transgressors. Jesus knew the will of God. He knew the Word of God. And he said, I have to do this because it is what God wants. Do you know, so much of the time when we think about how hard the will of God is and what we have to give up, we don't think about the benefits we get. Do you know that Jesus experienced two incredible benefits here that you and I experience every time we decide it's the will of God that I'm going to submit to? Jesus in the garden had incredible courage, and he had amazing, amazing peace. How many of us here today would say, those are virtues I want? Of course they are. They come from submitting to the Word of God and doing the will of God. Let's look at the first one, courage. Uh, Here are the events that occur. After Jesus' struggle in the garden... When he said, Lord, take the cup away from me, but I'm resolved, not my will, but your will, he surrendered to God's will. He went to the disciples and he woke them from sleep the third time. And he said, arise, let us go. And they marched forward to meet the enemy instead of waiting for the enemy to come to them. When the soldiers arrived, Jesus stepped out in front of the disciples and he met the enemy head on. And boy, do I learn something from this. When you are submitted to the will of God, it gives you incredible courage. Incredible courage. 
There's something about it. When you know you're doing the will of God, there is a resolution, there is a firm resolve that gives you amazing, amazing courage. Did you notice the other thing in this story? Everyone in the story is nervous, aren't they? They're all filled with anxiety. Judas is nervous. He thinks I'm going to get the wrong one. The soldiers are nervous. They've got clubs and they've got swords. The disciples are all nervous. They flee. The author of this gospel, if he's the one in verse 51 and 52, he's so nervous when they grab his clothes, he leaves his clothes behind and he flees. Everyone in the story is nervous except who? Jesus. Why? In the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. And when that is settled, an amazing peace comes into your heart. There was a physician and a psychologist who used to write a newspaper paper column for 60 years. His name was George Crane. And one day a person wrote in to him and said this, what would you advise is the best way to eliminate psychiatric problems? Here's what Dr. Crane wrote back. There would be much less strain on men and women if they teamed up with God as a daily partner. People who try to live independently and ignore God are soon overwhelmed with innumerable fears and worries. If more people learn to team up with God, the human race would soon be able to throw off the 50% of its ailments that medical educators admit are psychological. What an answer. What an answer. Why are we often so overwhelmed with innumerable fears and worries? It's because we haven't partnered with God. We have sought to live independently of Him. And when we do, we can't have the peace that comes from knowing I'm in the middle of His will, doing what He wants me to do. All of us are familiar with the serenity prayer from AA. But some of us may have never heard the serenity poem. Let me share it with you. And I've added the last phrase. And the reason I've added the last phrase is because this serenity poem describes Jesus in the garden. But the last phrase needs to be added because it is why... He alone had serenity 
when no one else did. Let me read it for you. To walk when others are running. To whisper when others are shouting. To sleep when others are restless. To smile when others are angry. To work when others are idle. To pause when others are hurrying. To pray when others are doubting. To think when others are in confusion. To face turmoil yet feel composure. To know inner calm in spite of everything. This is the test of serenity. This comes from doing God's will. This comes from doing God's will. All of us this morning, are we pretending with Jesus? Judas kiss? Are we fighting with him with Peter's sword? Or are we submitted to him? God's word. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's pray. As we are quiet before the Lord, and in just a moment we'll be fellowshipping with our Savior around the table. I wonder how the Savior might be speaking to you. I know He has certainly spoken to me. And whatever issues or decisions you need to make, do so now in this quiet moment. If you're pretending, tell the Lord you're tired of that and you want to be real. If you're fighting, tell the Lord it hasn't brought you the peace that you are looking for and you want to stop fighting and tell the Lord that you long to have the courage to be a person who does the right thing and has the peace that passes all understanding And that can only come by saying, Lord, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And so, however, the Lord is speaking to you today, let him have his way. He loves you so much. He wants to lead you and walk with you and guide you. He will not spare you the hard times. 
but He will direct you through them. And so let Him change your outlook and direction today. If you're not sure that you're a Christian, you can come to Jesus now. You can cast yourself at the foot of the cross, admitting that you're a sinner, that you're undone, that Christ alone is your only hope of salvation. And you can repent and turn to Him and trust Him to come into your heart and life and be a Savior to you and a Lord to you. And so turn to Him now. He resolutely went to the cross for you. And now He knocks at the heart's door and saying, I want to come in if you will hear me knocking. Let Him in by an act of faith and trust and commitment to Him. Lord, thank You for being the wonderful Savior that You are just as you stepped out in front of the disciples, so you're out in front of us. You're the one alone who knows the way. And our safest place is behind you, following you, taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves, and letting you be Lord. May we do that with all of our hearts, thanking you for your gracious loving forgiveness when we fail to do that. We come now into your special time of fellowship with us around the wonderful table of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.